I love the attraction activism so much. And that is the idea that you live your life and you do a really good job of it every single day. I was just uh, talking with some spiritual folks who were saying that one of their tenets that they live by is every day is a new beginning. And so I thought about that this morning when I got up. It's like, what can I do today? Not just in my regular work that's very focused on helping the animals, but what can I do just as a matter of course to be the kind of person that somebody else would want to emulate. What the hell is up, you guys? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I am here with the one and only Victoria Moran. She is the director of Main Street Vegan Academy. She is an award-winning author, activist, and a total inspiration to me. So welcome, and thank you for coming today. Why, thank you for having me. (laughs) So today we're going to get into all of it, you guys. We're going to talk about what it was like being vegan decades ago. We're going to talk about how to sustain activism in the long run. We're going to get into some of the challenges you may have faced over the years, talk about animal rescue, animal adoption, and hopefully you find this episode useful and informational, and I guess we'll just go go into it. Sounds good. Amazing. So, Victoria Moran, who the hell are you? Ah, a girl from Kansas City who always <laughs> loved animals. I've always had this kind of, of dual passion in my life. On the one side, it's been this whole kind of vegan thing with the animals, but also the health came in pretty early with yoga and that. And then the other side was spirituality and the meaning in life and what's it all about. So those have just dovetailed very nicely over the years. I um, tried to be vegetarian when I was 13 and got really hungry and kind of failed at that. Mm. But I did manage in my late teens to go vegetarian because my love of animals was kind of moved a little bit closer with yoga. And they said, if you want to be serious about yoga, you have to stop eating animals. And it was weird then. It was very weird. I remember in my hometown of Kansas City, Missouri, when they put in the first salad bar, I think it was 1973, I almost cried. I thought they had done it for me because, (laughs) you know, who else was eating vegetables? What is iceberg lettuce? I've never seen it in my life. (laughs) Yeah, so it it was very different. And I did hear about veganism maybe two years after I went vegetarian. And I knew it was right. I mean, I knew it was right. But I just slipped and slid and went on the wagon and off the wagon. I was dealing with a binge eating disorder, so that was complicated. Plus, it was very, very difficult and very odd back then. Nobody had heard of it. Nobody knew how to pronounce it. But there were these two amazing people, Jay and Freya Dinshaw. Jay has passed away. Freya is still with us. And they founded the American Vegan Society in 1960. I mean, 1960 was practically the 50s. And, I mean, Eisenhower was president, and they made this American Vegan Society. So they were just the most incredible people, and they believed in me. So even when they knew that I had fallen off the wagon and gone back to eggs and dairy and what, they treated me like a vegan. They never said, you know, get your act together or we won't have anything else to do with you. They just always lifted Mm. me up until I was finally able to lift myself up and and go fully vegan, which I did in uh, 1983. Wow. That I mean, in the 80s, that is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, to even think back five, six years ago when I first made my transition, we're already seeing so many new products on the market. It's never been easier. The information I don't even think was as accessible as it was because social media was so different even 10 years ago. So I can only imagine in the 80s. So when you said, all right, the light bulb went off, I am going vegan, what was the reaction of people around you? Well, they already thought I was crazy because in those days, you know, (laughs) vegan, vegetarian, what's the difference? I do remember that when my daughter was born, we were living in Wheaton, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. My husband, my first husband, was in a chiropractic school near there. And the local paper found out that this vegan couple had had a baby. So they did this wonderful story and took all kinds of pictures of the kitchen and what we ate and all that. But then somebody from, I don't know if it was the health department or the child welfare or whatever, got wind of this <gasps> vegan couple had a baby. So they came to make sure everything was okay. And 
I was just so proud to be a mom and all that. And I really befriended this woman that I think came to see if I was deserving to be a parent. So it all worked out fine. But there was this idea at that time that if you don't have milk in your fridge, how can you be a good parent? What in the world? Oh, my gosh. And I mean, kudos to you for being like, I've done the research and being that the information was not just a Google search away, right? So you were you really had to do the research and look outside of what the standard USDA recommendations were for, you know, the American diet. You had to say, no, actually, milk isn't great for you. Yeah. So kudos to you. And then the fact that the the child services came, <laughs> that is wild. And meanwhile, we know now how terrible dairy is for you. Mm-hmm. And meat, it's a class one carcinogen. I mean, it's basically like giving your children packs of cigarettes every day, right? So th- that that is amazing. So what was that like after – did you ever question your no, – No. No. Because I had been around this. You, it did take me a long time, as I said, to get from vegetarian to vegan. Mm. So there were lots of vegan stretches in my vegetarian days. And I was very involved. I went to conferences. I was writing for publications. And so – I had been doing this pretty much all through the 1970s, and it was very weird. I mean, we didn't have tofu in regular stores, but you could go to an Asian market, and they would give you these really long tongs, and you could pull your tofu out of this vat of water. So that was interesting. We all ate margarine. We ate tons of margarine, soft margarine, because we thought it was good for you. It wasn't butter. It wasn't saturated fat. So now we know that was trans fats, and we shouldn't have been doing that. But, you know, you do what you think is is right at the time. And we always knew about fruits and vegetables, so that was good. It was very hard to to eat out, and especially if you were doing anything like a road trip where you were going to be, it's still not easy on uh, long road trips on interstates. But at that time, it was like, oh, my gosh, dry toast and a baked potato with little packets of mustard. I still put mustard on potatoes because I got so used to doing that back when it was all we had. So it's a lot easier now, a lot easier And you've seen tremendous change over the years. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Well, when I first started, and actually, I wrote my first book, which I think was the first book about veganism to come from an actual publisher, when I was still slipping and sliding and hadn't quite made it. So I went to college late, and I got a fellowship for foreign study in my junior year, and they said, you can go anywhere you want but you have to leave North America. So I said, I want to go to the UK and study vegans because the vegan society had started there, the movement had started there, and it was a smaller landmass, more vegans in a smaller amount of space. So it is amazing to me that this lovely little liberal arts college, North Central College in Naperville, Illinois, was willing to send me to a foreign country to learn about and write about vegans. I didn't know it was going to be a book at that time. But when I was studying that, veganism seemed like this lofty choice that could change the world if a lot of people did it. But it seemed that only remarkable people were able to do it. And I always think of one of the women that I interviewed for the book. She had been around during the 1940s when the Vegan Society was just starting. And they, you know, they were pioneers. And she said in this very proper British accent, we didn't know if our bones would disintegrate (laughs) or if we'd perish in a fortnight. We did this out of pure, disinterested compassion. I remember thinking, I want to be you when I grow up, because there was just so much power there. And I think almost like a religion or something when it's brand new and fresh and pure from the person who's brought it to earth, there was just something that those people had that was so incredible. Another amazing woman that I met who had been very early in the animal rights movement was Lady Muriel Dowding. Now, she is why you and I are wearing cruelty-free vegan makeup today. Because at that time, even when I was getting into things, 
you couldn't get any kind of color cosmetics that were cruelty-free made in America. So we would do things like try to make blush out of Crisco and food coloring. It was, it was bad. But there was a company in the UK called Beauty Without Cruelty, and it had been founded by this woman, Lady Dowding. So her husband, Lord Dowding, had masterminded the Battle of Britain. So he was a big World War II hero. And afterwards, all these widows and people who had lost their sons came to him wanting answers about what happened to my child. And he felt some responsibility having been, you know, a big military leader. So he started looking into spiritual things, and that got him thinking about animals as well. And so there were these wonderful stories about there was a um, infestation of rodents in London, and he lectured the House of Lords that maybe they could bring in animal communicators and they could like explain to these, I guess it was rats, that they should go somewhere else. Uh, but not also, welcome here. <laughs> they, it, they had to go to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953, and everybody at their level of peerage was supposed to wear ermine robes. And they somehow managed to find and have made faux ermine robes. What is ermine? It's a fur. Oh. It's that kind of fur that's white and has the little black tails on it. Oh, sounds awful. And people still wear it. it. You know, the few people that still wear fur. So thank God that's ending. But 1953, faux fur? How did they find this? And so... Knowing people like that, even when it was really difficult and considered really odd, has always been a big like light source for me mm -hmm. because I know if they could do it then, I can do whatever I have to do now. Totally, totally. I feel that what truly keeps me sane is that support system, that community that we found. I mean, we met through the vegan community, and it's amazing to see how many incredible people that we've crossed paths with just through this community. You know, we have totally different walks of life. You know, you were from Kansas City, I'm from here, and we've managed to come together over this pressing, pressing issue and this this amazing cause and, and fight for it and dedicate our lives to it. So I guess my next question for you is, how have you managed to, number one, stay sane all of these <laughs> years, being that you see all this suffering all the time, being that, you know, at first it was kind of lonely. So what are some tips for, for people that are listening to be able to fight for this cause for the long run? I think the main thing is to just accept, you know, wasn't there some kind of TV show? In fact, I think there's a movie out about it now. You know, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we don't have to do this work. You know, we could just be vegan. That's pretty easy. And then find another cause, get into literacy or something like that. If it's really, really hard for you to look at the suffering every day, be vegan and shine your light. That's really important. I'm very much into attraction activism, mm. that you're not going to be talking to everybody you meet about veganism. You're not going to be carrying a sign every day of your life. But if you can live in an aspirational fashion, people will want what you have. So so don't feel that you're you're forced into having to do anything that is going to wear you down because the animals are counting on you where you are. And if you can do a little bit over the long run, that's going to be more than throwing yourself into this thing and burning out and never be heard from again. And some people actually, of course, as we all know, even give up on veganism, mm. which is so, so sad. So be easy on yourself. And you were talking about community and support. So that's the second thing, that you need to be surrounded by people who absolutely care about you. Some of these people are going to be your vegan cohorts and your fellow activists. But sometimes you just need people who love you like crazy, even though maybe they don't get the whole vegan thing. It's like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> you could be like doing something for underprivileged children, but whatever, but they still love you. So you just really need that. I think it's it's really important. I think we also need balance in our lives, and we also need to look at our lives 
in terms of chapters. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your animal rights work is going to be the most important thing in your life. That's it. And then there'll be other times when it's right and proper that you step back a little bit. So for example, when my daughter was born, this lovely man who had actually acted as the literary agent for my first book, Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic, it was the the paper that I wrote for my fellowship. I had no idea it was going to be a book, but he said, you need a publisher. So he got me one. Lovely, lovely man. And he wrote, Jenny, his wife, and I just want you to know that your daughter is the most important animal now. And that was almost shocking to me because mm. the animals had been so much my priority. But it became very clear that in the first couple of years as a new mom, she was so much the most important animal in my life. But very shortly after that, she was out carrying little signs because mm. <laughs> she wanted to. So it's okay sometimes to step back. There are enough of us now. You're not the only animal rights activist on earth. And I guess the final thing, I guess you're supposed to give tips in threes and sevens and not fours, but I'll stop with four, is that this shouldn't be this way. This kind of pain, this kind of suffering, this kind of evil purported to, to be done, that's done by humans, it just shouldn't be, but it is. And it's the way it is. It's the nature of life on earth now. Mm -hmm. And some people say it's gotten worse. Some people say it used to be so much worse. I don't know. I know right now it's bad. And and we're here to do something about it. And I think it's very important to look at this thing historically because we don't know in the animal rights movement where we are mm -hmm. in the movement. So I always think about people who were fighting for the abolition of human slavery. When they were doing that in 1650, they didn't know. When they were doing it in 1850, they didn't know. We don't know. We don't know where we are. We just know that we're in this work. We're having victories all the time. And I think it's so important to look at the victories. Mm -hmm. And some people say there's no victory until we have a vegan world. I can see that point of view. But if I didn't look at the victories, this animal saved, this law changed, I, I just... I'd be too sad to get up in the morning. So those are my tips. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that I just got chills as you said that. I really, really think that every single tip I could relate to, every single tip I think, especially as you were just saying with the victories, we do need to take things step by step because it allows us to then have hope for what's next to come. And I think we do need to set these achievable goals to then – be able to track our progress, you know, in this movement. But it is really bad right now. And that's why we are doing everything that we can to try and stop this. And one thing that you're doing that is really helpful and that can help other people get active is Main Street Vegan Academy. So what is that? And what are you doing with Main Street Academy? And how can people listening benefit from that? Oh, thanks so much for asking. Well, Main Street Vegan Academy came from my 2012 book, Main Street Vegan. And there's a little story behind that. Do we have time for a little mm -hmm. story? It's a good story. So I got a publisher for the book, which was wonderful. Penguin Random House, nice publisher. And when I spoke with my editor the first time, she said, we're so happy to have you, so happy to have the book but we don't like Main Street. You're going to have to come up with another title. Well, as you've said, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up two blocks off Main Street. I knew I wanted to reach Main Street mm. because that's still, that's who we need to reach. And But they had bought the book, so I was trying to come up with another title, hadn't managed that. So my husband and I are walking up Broadway on a Saturday, and we see somebody so famous, you can recognize him from the back. Any guesses? Um, Bradley Cooper, <laughs> Brad Pitt, uh, Beyonce. <laughs> Those are all good. It was Michael Moore. Oh, okay. And he had liked a book that I had written earlier, a weight loss book, and he'd written about it in Oprah's magazine. So wow. I just gave my card to the woman who was with him and said he liked one of my books. Tell him hello. 
went on a Broadway. I didn't want to be like a fangirl. Mm -hmm. And then I hear Victoria, and he's coming up Broadway. And we exchanged pleasantries, and then he said, I'd like to talk to you about food. I'll call you. And I'm thinking, of course you will, because Academy Award winners call me so often, it's really getting to be annoying. <laughs> but about a month later, lo and behold, he did. And in one of these conversations, I mentioned that the book that I was working on was supposed to be called Main Street Vegan. Publisher didn't like that. He said, they're wrong, because everybody wants to be Main Street. Let me talk to them. So we had a three-way call. Mm. And he convinced my editor, and she convinced the higher-ups. And when she called a couple of days later, Later to say, your book is Main Street Vegan. It was as if I had entered a comic book and there were all these bubbles around my head. And they were saying things like, there needs to be a Main Street Vegan podcast, and there needs to be Main Street Vegan productions, and there needs to be a Main Street Vegan Academy training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. Mm -hmm. So we started in June of 2012. We're about to have our 36th class. And what happens at Main Street Vegan Academy is people become experts on every aspect of the vegan lifestyle. And what I see is that people come in and everybody has to be vegan first because you're being trained to be a coach, educator, entrepreneur. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not vegan yet. Well, I come there and learn how to be vegan. And it's like, no, you know, if you want to be a nun, you have to first be a Catholic. If you want to be a coach, you have to first be a vegan. So what they learn our vegan principles, which is everything in terms of animal rights with fabulous instructors and, and fashion and nutrition and health and the environment, all that stuff. And then communication principles, how to get the word out mm -hmm. with uh, public speaking, social media, uh, working with mixed and transitional families, and then business principles for the people who want to who are entrepreneurial and want to turn this into a business, which so many have. So I am so proud of my 650 graduates on six continents who are doing so many things. There is a vegan community center outside of Buffalo, New York. Um, there is a bodega called V Marks the Shop in Philadelphia. There's a vegan eco-friendly cowboy boot company in Dallas, Kate Cat Mendenhall, uh, cowboy boots. We have a wonderful, I say we as if it's mine, but one of my graduates has yeah. a wonderful ice cream company in Mexico City, Bommo Ice Cream. And people are coaching and they're writing books for real publishers and they're writing cookbooks and they're being interviewed everywhere and they're being consultants to vegan food companies. They're working for animal rights organizations and for plant-based um, companies. They're doing all kinds of amazing things because at Main Street Vegan Academy, the back burner becomes the front burner. And this idea that you might have been thinking, oh gosh, I think I could maybe do that, but not now, all of a sudden becomes, yes, I can, mm -hmm. I can do it, I can do it now. So it's very interactive. We're live via Zoom, and you get to talk to the instructors. And our instructors are just superb, um, Chef AJ. We just had uh, Ingrid Newkirk for one of our master yes. classes. We had a PETA, for those of you guys that don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, the women from our hen house, longtime animal rights people, Jasmine Singer, uh, Marianne Sullivan, who is an animal law professor, wow. Joshua Catcher, uh, fashion designer. Uh, we always have wonderful physicians, Dr. Milton Mills, Dr. Joel Kahn, Dr. Robert Ostfeld. So you get the cream of the crop, right. and then you get to know other vegans. And there are some people that just don't have vegans, you know, in their life, in their town. And so you're, you're there with all these other people, and then when it's over and when you have your certification, you can just go off and <laughs> do wonderful things or stay connected with a private Facebook group, with additional classes that are mostly free, and with um, get-togethers and, and Zoom gatherings and all this support because the whole goal of Main Street Vegan is to make vegan what's happening on Main Street all over the world. Mm. My goal in my lifetime is to see meat eating become what smoking cigarettes has now. A few people still do it, but you don't admire them. You kind of feel sorry for them. 
Absolutely, yes. It should be one of those things where when you go out to eat, the default is vegan and you actually have to request, yeah, I want that piece of flesh. Like, it's like you sound like a total weirdo. So I think that with Main Street Vegan Academy, everybody should go check it out at your website, MainStreetVegan.com, mm-hmm. because communication in our movement is everything. The way that we say things and articulate things is going to have a tremendous impact on the long run. You know, when we look at what we're putting out on social media, we want to make sure Number one, that our message is cohesive. Number two, that it's factual, that we make sense across the board. You know, and I find that there's a lot of like infighting in the vegan community. It's like we don't need any of that right now. We really need to make sure that we are maintaining clear communication and be able to to talk to people and to leave them with a positive feeling because there's there's a quote you said earlier from Maya Angelou. We were talking before the podcast that says – People remember how you made them feel, not necessarily exactly what you said. And so we're just here trying to plant seeds with people wherever we can along the way, whether it's you're putting out posts on social media, whether you're talking to your friends and family and living by example and showing them, oh, look at, like, I'm making delicious food and dinner tonight, or look at me, I'm wearing amazing cruelty-free makeup, I'm doing really well, and by you leading by example, people are going to be like, huh, I kind of want to do that. And I kind of want to look like that. I mean, look at you for you've been around since I I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Since you were saying the 60s, you look like you're maybe you were born in like the 80s, I would say. It's (laughs) it's amazing. And you probably look at some of your friends and you're like, guys, I told you. (laughs) But, you know, it is one of those things where we do need that clear communication. It, It took me, I would say, six months to fully be able to communicate the vegan message because at first I was like, I don't know if I know all the facts. I'm a little nervous about talking about the subject matter. And what I did was a lot of AV cubes, Anonymous for the Voiceless, which is where we stand in public places and show people the standard practices in the industries. And I would overhear other people's conversations with the public. I watched a lot of Earthling Ed. But to have a Main Street Vegan Academy where you're getting the information right there, right in front of you being able to talk to amazing people in the industry from nutritionists to chefs to doctors to other activists I think is brilliant so you're you're leaving an incredible impact oh bless you well it's been pretty wonderful and the cool thing you know people always talk about leaving a legacy and I'm not going to have grandchildren my daughters told me uh, but I have all these graduates and there's a lot that we can all do and I think as long as we take care of ourselves and do manage to get some sleep every night you know we can be out there every day and do a lot but there's nothing that one person can accomplish that can hold a candle to what lots of people can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if we can influence others, then there's this wonderful ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And you, we can reach people in all different departments, from legislation to cooking and creating vegan businesses to doctors. You never know who is going to hear your message and then have tremendous impact for the animals and, and on this world. So that is really, really amazing. And I'm so excited for people to go check that out. And, you know, the other thing that we were talking about before we started the podcast is how do we respond to people that say, I just don't care? Yeah. That is like, I find one of the the worst things that you can hear when you're, you know, so passionate about a message and you're talking about how devastating these industries are to the environment, how they're so cruel to innocent baby animals, how that's terrible for your health. And then somebody that you're talking to responds and just says, I don't care. How do you respond to that? Well, I try to respond on my better days with empathy because anybody that doesn't care particularly if if you get to the health angle and somebody doesn't even care about their own self-preservation, that is a really hurting person. But I learned something early, early on, back in the 70s in an animal rights group in Kansas City. There was an older woman. I'm probably older now than she was then. but And she said, I don't love animals. I hate cruelty. And when she first said it, I was shocked. It's, how can you not love animals? But then I started to think, it's more important to hate cruelty. And I think about, you know, I'm not a children's rights activist, but if I saw a child being abused, I would go to the ends of the earth to try to do something about that because I hate cruelty. 
And so for the people that don't really care about animals, maybe you can get through that way. And I mm -hmm. think sometimes the people who don't want to care are the people who have been hurt a lot and they would care the most if they opened themselves up at all. Mm -hmm. So with them, I think it's good just to love them up, feed them lots of good vegan food. And some of these things are so non-threatening. I mean, the makeup, for example. A few years ago, I was going to lunch with a non-vegan, and she brought another non-vegan friend of hers, her old college roommate. And we ended up at a macrobiotic restaurant that was vegan plus fish. And my friend was going on and on and saying, isn't it wonderful? We can be here, and you and I can have our fish, and Victoria can eat vegan. And her college roommate said, well, I'm vegan. And my friend said, you are. You never told me that. She said, well, I don't eat vegan, but all of my makeup and body care stuff is vegan. And turns out she was an Arbonne representative. But I thought, oh. we are now the cool kids that people kind of stretch the truth to be like us, even when they're, <laughs> you know, not there at all. But but you can start out with mm -hmm. things like the the cosmetics and gifts. I mean, vegan gifts to everybody, whether it's food, whether it's some kind of cool kind of, you know, magic cream, whatever it is, it, it's just a way to get people excited about this in, in a way that isn't telling them what they have to change but kind of adding on to their lives, adding something good. And then we just keep carrying the message because very often people will be like, I can't get my brother to change. Well, if you can't get your brother to change, then go to your coworkers, mm -hmm. go out on the street, just shine your light because people are paying attention to what you do. And if we're so targeted on somebody that might not do it this year or five years from now or ever. You're going to miss all those 50 or 500 people that you could influence. You got to go for the low-bearing fruit. I really think that that's such a, a great tip because why waste all of that energy on somebody that's just not open to hearing it? And I often find that it has a lot to do with credibility. For, for example, my brother looks at me and he's like, who are you? You're my sister and you're he, he will not listen to a word that I say. Unfortunately, he's like, you're only two years older than me. How much more do you know than me? Whatever. And I'm like, all right, you know, fine. I will reach 500 other people then. And so sometimes it's just about them hearing it from another person. Yes. So maybe he needs to hear it from a bodybuilder guy that he can relate to because he looks at me and he's like, you know, you're 115 pounds, like I can't eat like you, you know, I don't want to be anything like you. <laughs> so, you know, maybe the brothers aren't always the way to go and they, they can hear the message in other ways. For example, somebody that may not relate to the animal things may relate to health. You know, they might care about their bodies and how these animal products are affecting their health. They might care about the environment and what the animal agriculture industries are doing to our planet and how future generations won't have a life here. And listen, if they don't relate to any of those, I do think um, it's worth just saying they're not ready to hear the message yet and mm -hmm. moving on to, as you said, other people. And you bring you brought up a really good point that I just wanted to touch on when we were talking about we're, we may not be human rights activists. In certain ways, we are because when we're fighting for the animals, we mm -hmm. are fighting for humans as well in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But we're not eating humans three times a day, you know, so <laughs> it's like we are against the cruelty. As you said, you don't have to love animals, but being against the cruelty means that we don't have to actively participate in their suffering. There's a lot of vegans that don't rescue animals every single day, but there's a lot of people that rescue animals every single day that aren't vegan. And how strange is that? Yeah. It's really interesting how ideas can come to us through doors and windows and crawl spaces in our brains. And it's just so important, I think, not to judge because it's so easy to say, but I get this. I do it this way. I see it. And it's like, yeah, because if you had a video of your whole entire life, you can see why one person sees it one way and somebody else sees it another way. So this is why I love the attraction activism so much. Mm -hmm. And that is the idea that you 
live your life. And you do a really good job of it every single day. I was just uh, talking with some spiritual folks who were saying that one of their tenets that they live by is every day is a new beginning. And so I thought about that this morning when I got up. It's like, what can I do today? Not just in my regular work that's very focused on helping the animals, but what can I do just as a matter of course to be the kind of person that somebody else would want to emulate. So the first thing is, you know, be nice. <laughs> and You're better than me. <laughs> well, to just, and, and be patient yeah. and listen. So here, I'll tell you the story that I didn't get to tell you before the podcast, that I was on a bus and talking to this woman. I don't even remember how we started talking. She was sitting, I was standing, and... She asked what I did, and I told her I write about veganism. I run this vegan coaching academy. And she said, oh, then you probably wouldn't want to be talking to me because I really like hamburgers and hot dogs. And instead of saying, you're a terrible animal murderer, I said, most people do. And I could see her just, it's like I wasn't judged. And then I said, and you should see how my husband eats those Beyond Burgers. They're vegan, but you'd think they were regular burgers. She said, I've heard that. Do you think I should try one? So it's just like coming in a back door, first by not being the judge and jury of everybody else on earth, and just opening up mm-hmm. a, a way to have dialogue. And I mean, in our country right now and in our world, It's so hard to communicate with people because the minute you open your mouth or really the minute you say anything online where it's really worse, there's this this panic of, did I say that right? Should I say it differently? Should I delete it? But even if I delete it, it'll live there forever. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared. We don't want to be like that. We want to be able to have a free exchange of ideas and that means our ideas get freely exchanged too. Yes, I think that we want to manipulate people into our corner in whatever way we need to do that, whether that's being kind, asking questions, uh, not being so quick to just jump on people. Ultimately, we have a goal, and that goal is to get people to listen to us. So I think that that's a really important tactic that often works. I think we do have to analyze who are we speaking to specifically. There's some people that a kinder, softer approach is going to work better. And in my experience, I find that some people need just like a line that just snaps them out of it and gets them thinking. I remember years ago when I was out to, I think we were like at some diner and I was eating some type of like eggs and bacon dish. And my friend said to me, you're an animal lover, right? Like, why do you eat them? And at the time I was like, fuck you. Like, what are you talking (laughs) about? And it stuck with me because I was like, She's right. Yeah. And why am I getting so defensive about that? And she didn't say it in a nice way. And she didn't say it in any way that um, was kind and patient. And instead, I, I kind of got a little taken aback by it. But it was something that I think was a seed that was planted that helped me change. So I think that there's definitely multiple ways to go about it. And I think online as well, you know, sometimes we as vegans come across as very passionate and very aggressive because we are so devastated by what's happening to the animals. It's almost like hard to contain this frustration. You know, I mean, to think that over 80 billion animals are being brutally, very violently killed and, and, and to think that you know, people just are going about their daily life and and not caring can be really devastating and frustrating. And that's why we as vegans can come across the way that we do. But at the end of the day, we are very loving and empathetic people. I mean, if we care so deeply about animals and their suffering, we surely care about Mm -hmm. human beings, people, the planet. And uh, we just have to find a better way to communicate that love and compassion. And even if you have to bite your tongue and even if you have to say, hold it in, hold it in when you're (laughs) talking to the lady on the bus and just be like, oh, like, no, you're you're great. We love you. Do it. Because I think that ultimately we want to reach that that goal. And I think we can speak our truth. And we're speaking to two different kinds of people when we're talking to people that we would like to have look at veganism. 
there's a small group of active animal um, cruelty perpetrators. So people that are in laboratories, people who are torturing animals, people who are killing animals. And, you know, and, and there are very fine lines there. Certainly people working in slaughterhouses, they're killing animals. They are also exploited. When I spent a day in, in a slaughterhouse, the thing that surprised me the most, other than the smell, the smell which I will never forget, but it was the amount of sympathy I came out with for the workers because they didn't want to be there. They were in this tiny town in southern Missouri that somehow got bypassed by the railroad and the interstate and anybody else who cared. And that was the one place in town that they could work. They were in a refrigerator all day. They were standing ankle deep in blood. They were hearing screams and smelling this horrible smell, getting so many injuries. There's no more um, injured profession, according to OSHA, than people working in, in slaughterhouses. So we've got victims victimizing other victims. So it gets it's very tricky. So we've got that kind of thing. But then we have these people that say, I love animals. And I, I love my dog, I love my cat, I, I love wildlife, I love horses. And they'll write letters about, you know, wild horses, for instance, or, or elephants. You know, it's, it's just so, there's something about the elephant that speaks to, to people's hearts. And yet, when it comes to what they're eating, there's a blind spot. So I think there's a different message for active abusers and then for people that are just clueless. And I think we have to decide in each case, you know, how, how much tough love and how much let me listen. Let me listen to your story. And so how did you come into this? And, oh, you see it this way. Well, here's how I see it. That's one approach. And the other approach is like what the person said to you, you know, wake up. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask, was that person vegan or vegetarian? No. This, the same thing happened to me when I was 15 years old. I tried to get out of biology class because I wasn't going to cut up animals. And so the guidance counselor had given me this scary lecture about, you know, I can put you in human science, but it's not college prep. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll never go to college. I'll be this, you know, wandering beggar. This is terrible. But whatever. I cannot cut up these animals. So I went to my biology teacher who was this guy with a crew cut. He'd spent a lot of his life in the military. And he, he looked at my my little pass and he said, so you don't want to hurt animals, do you? And I'm like, no. He said, well, you eat them, don't you? <laughs> and it was just like somebody finding my deepest, darkest, most embarrassing secret. And I said, I do now, but I won't always. He said, you know what? I believe you. And he signed the pass, and he said, good luck to you. And I walked into human science, and they were having the sex lecture. And I thought, well, I can still have some fun in life, even if I don't go to college. <laughs> and I did get into college, and it all worked out fine. But sometimes these people who aren't even into this thing can see our hypocrisy and call us on it. And that was a huge seed that was planted huge. with you. Oh, because I promised. Yeah. You know, I promised I mm -hmm. won't always. And it's funny you say that because veganism for me was always something I wanted to strive towards. I remember when I was 13, something about that age, you're coming into your adolescence, you're growing and you're becoming your own independent person. And I remember I, I was on a highway and I saw a pig livestock truck for the first time. And that was the first realization I had of the ugly truth of where our food comes from. And I was sitting in the car with my dog, and I just remember looking back at the two and, and thinking there's no difference between them. And that seed stuck with me. And I always knew that eat, there was something weird about eating animals. I knew that it came from an individual, but never really thought about it because I just kind of kept my eyes closed to it, right? And it's interesting because some of the people that I'm, I speak to out on the streets or speak to online – it's like veganism to them is is 
like a death sentence almost, the way that <laughs> they act. You would think I'm like asking for their right hand, you know, by going yeah. vegan and they become so defensive. And I try to think back to a time where I thought that and I, I did at some point think that veganism was maybe extreme a little bit. Like I understood vegetarianism mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. but then I learned about the dairy and the egg industries and I'm like, there's nothing extreme about veganism except for the fact that it's extreme not to be vegan. It's extreme to, you know, confine animals, to impregnate them, to take away their babies, to kill them for a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. You know, that is is extreme. So it's it's really a matter of, like, the more information you know, the further you run. And I think it's an evolved mindset. Well, and it's cultural, too, because we eat certain animals, and when we find people that eat insects, that's disgusting. Even when we ate meat, we thought that was disgusting. And then we thought that places where... They eat dogs and cats. This is such a horrible, horrible thing. And and it is. But it's also horrible to eat anybody, to kill anybody that, that is wanting to have a, a life. So I think we are a minority. And some of us who are lucky enough to be in the vegan bubble, and I know that I am. You know, Most of my friends are mm-hmm. vegan. My daughter is a lifelong vegan. Her husband is vegan. I do have two stepchildren who are not. But I've often thought about that because it's a second marriage and that their mom is not vegan. And if they went vegan, even though, you know, I wasn't like the other woman, my husband was thoroughly divorced before I met him, but for them to adopt this thing that I brought into the family, that I brought to their dad, it just would be, I think, in their minds, like disrespectful to their mom. But I'm mostly around vegans. And, And yet, we are a tiny little minority. And it's so interesting how people think that they know how to make the world vegan, even if they're not. So I was talking to a guy on the street the other day, really, really interesting fellow, who told me that he was a vegan until six o'clock. And then he ate fish, usually shellfish. He said, because I just crave it. Well, if we're talking to a recovering alcoholic, they're going to tell you sometimes I just crave it. But the difference is nobody has ever been taught, well, you know, you need those two drinks a day or you're not going to be healthy. But we were all taught that meat and eggs and dairy are part of a balanced diet. So it's a lot of getting through information that people were fed when they're so little. We're trying to cut through stuff that came from mom and (laughs) commercials Mm -hmm. and school teachers early, early on. So I think as the culture changes, you know, as we get to that critical mass, just this, this plate thing from the USDA, you know, it gets better all the time because of PCRM, because Mm -hmm. of of pushes from vegan and and plant-based people. So you know, there's still a glass there that a lot of people are going to put milk in, but it also says milk or non-dairy milk. You know, that's changing those deeply ingrained ideas that people have. So we're going to win this, not soon enough for us who care about the animals, but this is the, the right side of history. It is a lot of unlearning to do, and we have our plates full to, to do some work, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, I think about I think about how many people in just the five years that I've managed to reach, in just five years or six years, and with you, you know, over the years and how many people that you've changed and that have then gone on to change other people. Why don't you talk a little bit about what it was like changing your husband? (laughs) Well, it was interesting because I had been widowed for nine years when I met William, and I had been dating spiritual vegetarians. And I was living in Kansas City, Mm. and we're talking about the 90s. So there weren't a whole lot of these spiritual vegetarians, (laughs) and it just hadn't worked out with any of them. God bless them all. And so I thought, you know what, why don't you just date a nice guy? It's not like you're going to get married, because I was telling myself, well, you're so old, you're 46, you're not going to get married or anything. And so I met him, 
and he was a regular guy and he'd never met vegans before. I don't think he'd even met vegetarians before. And, you know, here are my daughter and I, and we're vegan and we've got all these animals. And he's like, okay. But after two weeks, he went vegetarian because he remembered when he was 12 years old, he had gone hunting with his cousins and he had shot some kind of a little game bird. I don't know what kind of bird. But he said it was the most horrible feeling, and he promised himself, I will never kill a living being ever again. But he didn't make the connection to what he was eating. And then all of a sudden, here my daughter and I are, and he's like, oh, okay. And he had done a lot of international business, and he'd lived in a lot of countries. And a lot of people in that sort of situation would try all kinds of cuisine and that, but he didn't. He stuck real close to kind of Midwestern, what he grew up with kind of food. So when I first met him, even after he went vegetarian, he didn't like mushrooms and he didn't like rice. And there were just so many basic foods that it was a little bit hard to feed him in the beginning. But, you know, he kept at it. The vegan thing just seemed extreme to him. And I was glad he was vegetarian and, you know, we were making it work. And then he read the manuscript of Main Street Vegan before it was published. He'd gone out to KC to visit his mom. We were living in New York by then. And he read it on a train coming back from, from Kansas City. And he said, okay, now I get it. And now I'm going to be vegan. And the minute he made that decision, everything changed. And he completely the, the leather went, the shoes, the wallets, the belts, you know, all the toiletries, everything is, I, I get it now. So that was wonderful. But what else happened, and I think this happens to some vegans, it's like the soul kind of softens. I don't know how else to describe it. But my husband, when I met him, was a, veg a non-vegetarian lawyer atheist. And in 2019, he'd been vegan for several years by then, he said, I want to go back to school. And I thought, okay, whatever. And he said, I want to study theology. And I just about fainted because it's like, wait, what are you not telling me? I thought you were still an atheist. He said, I want to learn why the religions of the world have so fallen down on their job of protecting animals. So he looked at different programs and ended up at the One Spirit Seminary and became um, ordained as an interfaith minister. Then he had the idea to start the Compassion Consortium with uh, another interfaith minister who was vegan, uh, Reverend Sarah Bowen, and myself. So that's our ministry for uh, animal advocates because, you know, so many people, they either they, they want to have some sort of spiritual home but they leave. Like we have one woman uh, early on, and, and she's this lovely Southern lady, and she said, I've been Baptist my whole life, but I just couldn't go back to that church after they roasted that pig. Mm. So there are a lot of people in that kind of situation. And then other people, it's still very important to them, church, synagogue, mosque, whatever is giving them meaning in their lives, but their veganism is not being honored. You know, even sometimes Buddhists, it's just nobody else is vegan or vegetarian, and they're the odd one out. And so so we have the Compassion Consortium, which people can find at CompassionConsortium.org, um, as, as a way to support Great. people in their, their spiritual growth, their animal rights uh, proclivities, and, and their veganism. So when you say, how did I convert him, he really converted himself based first on seeing that my daughter and I were consistent about our values and then just coming to to open up. And I think sometimes humans, we sort of are these tight little onions. Maybe we're not born that way, but we, we get educated that way. By the time we reach adulthood, it's like, okay, this is how it is. And I know how it is. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I think. And don't tell me anything different. But then a layer peels off. We get a little bit softened up and then another layer, layer peels off. And then we start to become like our own gurus. 
and we start seeking higher levels of truth. And I feel like that's what happened with William, and I'm very proud of him. It makes a huge difference because when you're dedicated to fighting for the animals and you're dedicating so much time and a lot of your life to this cause, it's like spending your life with somebody that doesn't see the world in the same way can be very difficult. So I think that that's amazing that he changed. And it sounds like you used a lot of attraction rather than promotion for this. I, I did. And and it's kind of funny because early on, I used to just pray, like, could he ever just, you know, kind of be interested in some of these things I'm interested in? And I was so happy he was vegetarian. And, you know, we could talk about animals and stuff like that, really, from the time he went vegetarian. It's an interesting thing. When people stop eating animals, then all of a sudden they can talk about animal issues mm. <laughs> in ways that, that they couldn't before. So that was all good. But I have to say that in these past five years, since the the whole spiritual animal thing has been part of his life in the past like 12, 14 years that he's been vegan, wow. it's really deepened our relationship. And I know that there are people who are in relationships where their partner may never change, and that's really, really difficult. And yet, there's an admiration. I think this is something that we sometimes miss as vegans, especially people who don't have a lot of other vegans around them. And they're thinking, oh, you know, everybody thinks I'm extreme. Everybody thinks I'm nuts. But lots of times, if you could kind of be in on the conversations that are being said about you, you'll hear things like the non-vegan mother will say, you know, my daughter's vegan. And I'm really proud of her because that's not easy. And she's really a good cook. She can make these cookies. You'll think they had eggs and butter in them. And if we were in on those conversations, you know, I think it would really help kind of pump up our, our self-esteem sometimes. But just know that people are seeing you be your best self. They're seeing you do something selfless. And even though once we're vegan, it's like it's not any kind of sacrifice. It's great and we eat well and everything is fine. But to people on the outside, it really looks like you're doing this sacrificial thing for somebody else. And that's admirable. And even if they don't tell you, they see it. Absolutely. And I think your activism changes over time as well. Like I remember when I first went vegan, it's this shock, it's this devastation, it's this anger that that fills you. And my activism was very forceful, very in your face. I would come home and write, not your mom, not your milk on our milk cartons. I would write chicken periods on my dad's eggs. And it would cause a lot of division between us, a lot of fighting. I remember one time, this is through college when I was living there. And I remember one time I came downstairs and on the cutting board is some bloody piece of something and I just started crying and I lost it and I was like I just can't do this you know it's like I'm going out rescuing animals and I'm coming home and finding their body parts in my fridge and I was really really angry about it and over the course of these six years I changed my approach to uh, approach a little bit with my family number one I don't live with my parents anymore so that helped a lot I think in small doses when I see them it's very positive it's very focused on cooking I also started putting out different content so not now I'm doing a little bit less of throwing blood all over grocery stores and yelling at people I'm doing more of like having intelligent conversations on the street in an entertaining kind of comedic way that now my parents are looking at my videos and being like huh, maybe she's got a point here. <laughs> and they have significantly changed their diets. My mom is vegetarian. My dad is, I want to say, pescatarian, getting there. But he doesn't have milk in the refrigerator anymore, which is amazing. He has just egg products, which are vegan, which is amazing. And so it's little by little. And just kind of hearing the way that he speaks about veganism, it's in a positive light now as opposed to he used to call me a staunch vegan and somebody that's very difficult to live with. And, you know, are you going to be cool if we go away on vacation and this is not and I explained to him in a respectful but stern way no dad I will never be cool with animal products being around or on the table I will never be cool or okay with animals having their lives taken for meals or for any unnecessary purpose and so no I won't be cool with it however if that's the decision and choice you want to make, I can remove myself from the situation and still never be okay with it. But I'm not going to stand there and berate you because ultimately you have to be the one to change and make the decision, mm -hmm. which is hard. 
Well, and it's like you were saying about your brother. Sometimes I have to hear it from somebody else. Yeah. I remember my mom just before she died said to me, you know, we used to think you were crazy mm-hmm. eating that tofu and doing that yoga. But now doctors tell their patients to do that. And it's like I've been vindicated by my mother's internist. And it's really a wonderful thing that more and more people are seeing it, and they're seeing it for different reasons. And I think there's certainly this move towards eating fewer animal products. And that's such a slippery slope because we don't want people to get stuck there. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if you just look at the numbers, it does evidently save animals. So I just want to be grateful for everything positive that's happening. And I'm really grateful for you and people like you who can go out on the street and talk to people in the way that you do, which is just brilliant. You know, you're gifted. You came to earth to do this. And it's so obvious that you are doing your right and perfect work. And that's what we try to bring people to in Main Street Vegan Academy, that we have different gifts and different talents. And if you can take what you already know you're good at and what is kind of, you know, a little bit outside your comfort zone maybe, but not way outside your comfort zone, because your your special gift is not going to be out in left field somewhere. It's going to be within this realm of stuff that you were good at and able to do even as a kid. And so to see you do what you do is just so gratifying. And to know that you're like, what, 48 years younger than me, and you're going to be doing this for 48 years after I'm gone is like, yay, because I would love to live to see a vegan world. Probably won't because, you know, vegan diet is really good, but it doesn't make you immortal. I think you will live to see a vegan world. And how cool it is that you and my daughter can can see that thing that, you know, you've been supporting and and working for for so long actually come to fruition. I mean, when you're able, first of all, thank you for your kind words. That means a lot, you know, coming from you. And I think that when you are able to pair your passion with your purpose. Exactly. Then it just becomes a smooth road from there. And then you're able to say, okay, this is something I can do for the long run. Yeah. I'm not an angry person. I don't want to go around yelling at people and screaming my head off and just like, you know, being mad all the time. Like, it's just not something that I can do. I want to just be myself and be able to advocate in whatever way we can. And we've found our purpose. And I think that is what leads to, number one, a fulfilling life. And number two, it's like you feel like you're never working a day in your life. I (laughs) I work for Generation Vegan, and we work on everything from campaigns to videos and educational formats. We do everything from plant-based food drives to media, to press, and I will work 16 hours a day sometimes because I care and because it, 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 it's, number one, it's fun. It's fun for me to be able to advocate and speak on this. And we are changing people's lives. You never know who you're going to speak to where you're going to say, hmm, this is a better diet for you and this is obviously better for the animals and the planet and then they go on and change and maybe this is was the very thing that, that stopped them from having a heart attack early on. You know, my dad went off most animal products and now he's off of Lipitor. Oh, he's wow. off of high blood pressure medicine. He's off of, he was almost pre-diabetic. His doctor said, you gotta make changes. And now he advocates to all of his friends. Uh. He's like, I'm telling you, there is something about the plant-based diet and he tells me all the time how proud he is of me. And I tell him, I'm like, Dad, thank you for being proud. I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm looking for you to go vegan and change and speak up on this. Not, It's not about me, right? So anyway, there's we could go on and on. I think that, you know, when we look at the world is changing. You were saying this before. We just also have to look at where is the money. So when we look at these USDA government guidelines and they're saying, oh, have that glass of milk on your plate, it's like, because they're making money from these industries. It's really uh, a scary thing. So by us telling you, go vegan, you know, live in alignment with your values, we're not making money by doing that. No, but what's so cool, what we can all do with our money, regardless of how little or how much of it we have, is vote with those dollars. Because if everybody wanted vegan food, then that's what would be provided. 
because these big companies that are making whatever it is they're making, they're not in love with their product. They're in love with the money. And so if we want vegan food, if we want vegan clothing, vegan vegan toiletries, vegan entertainment, vegan car seats, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and enough of us are demanding that, then that's what the marketplace is going to provide. And 50 years from now, we can all talk about, oh, all of these, you know, vegan corporations are just so greedy, then we'll deal with that then. Mm -hmm. But right now, let's turn them into vegan corporations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and thanks to you, the world is changing so quickly. And before we wrap it up, we have like two minutes. What are just some of your top favorite vegan products? It could be food, it could be makeup, like spilled beans. Okay. Well, I just discovered a completely non-toxic brand of lipstick, which I'm so excited about because, you know, we eat it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's called um, Mineral Fusion. You can get it online or at Target. So I'm very happy uh, to feel like I'm not poisoning myself because generally speaking, the cruelty-free cosmetics are a lot less toxic, but not 100% of the time. And Mm -hmm. to have non-toxic and cruelty-free is very, very cool. Oh, gosh, vegan products. Oh, there's so many wonderful ones. Your skin is glowing. What's the skincare regimen? You know, I get that Kinder Beauty box and pretty much whatever is in the box that month. I'm going to use so I don't have a an, an, you know specific product line. You but, don't even have a wrinkle on your face. Oh, like your skin is just glowing. Oh, you're you're very kind. Well, you know, I stay out of the sun and and you know you've been vegan try, for this long. You've been yeah. vegan for a really long time. So you know, I eat a really kind of plant-based diet, so I don't have a lot of products. You know, I mean, I am thrilled that they're out there. And I hope that all these companies just make millions of dollars and keep making more vegan kinds of foods. But I eat pretty simple. And, um, yeah, I love some of the fashion lines. I, I love um, Brave Gentleman, which is unisex, not all for, for men. Joshua Catcher, who's actually one of our Main Street Vegan Academy instructors, his, his shoes and clothes are absolutely fabulous and Guna's bags are very special so um, I hope somebody comes along making vegan dress coats pretty soon because my mm-hmm. wonderful vote couture coats they're no longer happening and so that's uh, something that somebody could come up and She's <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> Look at me. You know, like you think I'm a fashionista over here? But I like secondhand. I think that that's also that, that's important really too. important. And fashion is changing so much. Yeah. I mean, it's changing in so many better ways, vegan-wise. I mean, my gosh, in the course that Joshua Catcher teaches for us, every time he comes, he's always got – you know, new kinds of faux leather made out of some other kind of vegetable. It's mm. it's really exciting. But since the pandemic, with more people working from home and that, the whole idea of what it means to get dressed up is really changing. And it'll be interesting to kind of see where that plays out. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on here, for sharing your experience over all of these years. And why don't you just share one more time where everybody can find you oh, and so how kind. they can get involved. Okay, cool. Well, the Main Street Vegan website is MainStreetVegan.com. And um, if you want to just check out VictoriaMoran.com, that's my author website and kind of personal. It's got family pictures and it's, it's kind of fun too. And then on uh, Instagram, you uh, you can go to either Victoria Moran author or Main Street Vegan, and we'll see you there. Amazing, guys. And I'm at It's Jamie's Corner. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, see you around. <laughs>